Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. As you can see, the cameras are on. We are doing an interview today. I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. Justin, the hillbilly boy Campbell, will not be joining me on this one because I have a very special guest that I am just over-the-top excited to talk to for my own selfish reasons, but I think you guys will get a lot out of this interview as well. I'm going to bring him on in a minute. His name is Mikkel Thorpe. He is the world's most sought-after expat consultant. He does focus on helping high net worth uh, individuals, private clients, to legally mitigate tax liabilities, obtain second residencies, citizenships, uh, passports. He basically helps you get out of that totalitarian state that you're in and find a better place to live. He is the host of the Expat Money Show. He just put on a, a summit, the Expat Money Summit. He is uh, a wealth of knowledge, a renowned globetrotter, and he is the one, if you are going to become an expat, he is the guy that you need to talk to or at least uh, consult the wide variety of free information he has put out there. He, he does a podcast, like I said, but you know he can tell you guys more about this than I can, so let's bring him on, Mikkel Thorpe. Thank you so very much for coming on the show. Welcome. I've been very excited to talk to you. I know we had to push this. Um, you know, first I screwed up the calendar, and then you had a conflict, so we've had to push this a couple of times. I'm very excited that we could make it work. So uh, thanks for coming on, Mikkel. How's it going? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, John. So for my story, I have to go quite far back in time, but I will I will try to make it as concise as possible. Um, when I was a child, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. And what happened, John, was they pulled me out of, co- out of school and uh, sat me down in a little room. And the teacher said to me, um, something doesn't work quite right in your brain, Mikkel. And what we want to do is we want to send you to a special school, special school for special boys. And that's what they did. Every day for three years, I got on a little white bus and I took a little white bus across town and I went to this quote unquote special school. Now, the only problem was that it actually was not a special school. It was a regular school with a special class. So you can probably imagine what happened. I got in tons of fights. I got picked on. I got bullied. It was a pretty crummy experience all around. Now, this is no woe is me, poor Mikkel victim type of story. Certainly not. I mean, I got hit and I hit back. And John, if I could, absolutely twice as hard. Like I would never claim otherwise. But I went to this special school for three years. And um, eventually I got to go back to my neighborhood school and I thought this is going to be so amazing. Everyone will be so excited to see me and everyone will be wondering what happened to me. 
And once again, you can probably imagine what happened. They all started kind of gossiping and whispering. Oh, I remember Mikkel. He went to some retard school. Thanks, guys. Totally politically correct. Very sensitive. You know how children are. But um, I basically stopped going to school, and then I'd stop going, and then they'd fail, and then they'd put me in summer school, and then I'd fail that. And Long story short, I stopped going to school when I was 12 years old, and I officially dropped out when I was 15. And uh, not shortly after that, I started traveling, and I started traveling internationally. And uh, right from the very beginning, I realized that this was the life for me, and I felt like I had found like my peeps, like my people out there in the world. And I saw that there were so many people living life under their own terms, and they were learning things on their own way, and and nobody knew their story or their backstory, and they could really create themselves. So, you know, no one knew that I had dyslexia and I dropped out of school, and I could really, um, you know, build my life the way that I want to. Well, now I have been traveling for 23 years straight. Uh, I've lived in nine different countries. I've visited 110 countries. Um, and I've circumnavigated the globe over 400 times. So I do these things for fun. I do them as a hobby. I do them on the personal side. Um, and I do them as my business. So my podcast is called The Expat Money Show. I run a company called Expat Money. It's at expatmoney.com. And I help people to move overseas and get out of these abusive relationships with the government and move to a country with a lot smaller government and one that doesn't have the same type of funding and uh, surveillance and police state type of things is what we're like we're seeing right now. And it's good. I mean, I really enjoy this type of work. And I, I like to think about it as the the practical side of libertarianism. You know, I, I'm a very outspoken libertarian. I don't worry too much about the philosophical side of it. My podcast is not about the theory of libertarianism. It's about the action steps that we can actually have in our lives to have more freedom. So I know that kind of whirlwind encapsulated so many different things there, and I'm happy to take it in any direction you want. But just to give you a bit of context about my background. Yeah, that that is quite a story. And there was a lot to sort of unpack there. I think, you know, I just actually gave a talk at a festival this past weekend. And it was sort of based on my experience. And my listeners know that I just sort of on a whim picked up and moved to a different country because I didn't want to be locked down. I'm from Chicago. And, you know, I, I did like two months of the lockdown thing. And I was like, this is absolutely ridiculous. I got to get out of here. And it's just sort of being in this sort of environment in Mexico. It, it made me realize like how backwards our approach to life is. You know, there's like this life formula that is beaten in our heads, you know, basically propagandized by the government from a very young age. You go to school, you got to get this education, and then you got to go to college, because if you don't go to college, your life is just going to be a worthless, uh, you know, you're just gonna be a ditch digger or something for the rest of your life. And the key to this American dream is this degree. And then, you know, you work until you're 67, and you collect social security. And not only is I just think that's backwards. I, I'd much rather um, sit in front of a computer and click a mouse when I'm 67 than in my 20s and 30s when you could be traveling the world and getting all these experiences and, and doing you know, who knows what sort of shape you're going to be in at 67 if you even make it there. But like that's sort of the target where you can start living your life and doing what you want to do is after you've, you know, uh, wasted the, the last 40 years of your life being unhappy at some dead end uh, desk job. 
Well, absolutely. If I got hit by a car tomorrow, at least I'd be able to think back and all the things that I've wanted to do in my life, I've done them. I've been out there in the world exploring. I never understood the idea of like putting your life on hold for 35 or 40 years. And then once you've made it to the end of that, now you get to do the stuff that you want. Like that doesn't sound like fun at all. No. And it's like, even if you can do those things, you're going to be like so feeble, you can only sort of half do them. You know, you're not going to be, uh, you know, rock climbing and cliff diving at, at 67 or, you know, <laughs> I, I see all these old people here and they, all they do is walk across the pool for like a couple hours every day. They go to dinner at 530. They're in bed by nine. And I'm just like that, man, that just is depressing to me. And I think we've done a, an incredible disservice to the, the youth of uh, America by telling them that the only, you know, successful way to live is to go through this sort of antiquated formula that maybe it worked, you know, a generation or two ago, but it's as old as my parents are now, and they're pretty old. And the government has done a tremendous job of breaking every aspect of that, from education to the, the job markets to social security. I mean, the whole thing, even if it did work at one point, there's, it's just impossible for it to work any longer. What um so you said you've circumnavigated the globe 400 times. So you can actually find applications where you can put in how many hours you've flown and you can figure out how many times you've flown. So I used to keep a journal, a diary of all of the flights that I was taken that I've taken. And cuz a lot of the places that I've been to, I've been to multiple times. Like I've been to Switzerland 20 30 times. I've been to Germany 20 30 times. I've been to Japan at least a dozen times. I've been to the UK a dozen times. I've been to so many of these countries over and over and over and over again. So you start to add that up. And it's like, yeah, if you were to go around, I've done it over 400 times over the last 23 years. So a lot of exploring, a lot of uh, trying things out and, and testing things and not always getting it right, but uh, being out there in the world and doing my best, you know? What? So you must have some incredible airline status at this point. Do you just get bumped into first yeah, class every I mean, time you go somewhere? Yeah, I'm almost at the presidential on the new one that I just joined, and I just joined it two years ago. So um, I'll be at the top tier on that pretty fast. It's uh, it's nice. The perks are definitely nice for sure. And where are you right now, if you don't mind me asking, or is that? Of course, of course. Uh, so I'm based out of uh, Panama City, Panama. But uh, we spend the majority of the year here, but we have homes in a couple other places as well that we like to spend time in. Okay. I was, I was there last year, actually, on a little vacation. So, nice. um, What did you think of it? You know, I liked it. I, I liked other parts of Panama better. Uh, I liked Boquete a lot. Uh, I liked mm -hmm. Bocas del Toro. I think I'm more of a beach guy at this point. Mm -mm. I mean, Panama's, you know, you got the water right there as well. But I don't know, there were certain aspects of the city I liked. And then it was weird, because you'd be, you know, seeing all these like really nice buildings and something, and then there'd just be like a completely dilapidated building there. Uh, I, I wasn't as comfortable. Well, if you want to hear an interesting story. So I was talking to someone the other day, because it is like that. Absolutely. In Panama City, you have these brand new sky rise, like um, hotels and, and condo buildings and stuff like that. And then next door is this 
you know, looks like a little shanty town. It looks absolutely terrible. And the person was telling me that those people who live there are actually extraordinarily well organized and they have groups and they know what that land is worth. And they're actually worth like tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, these people, but they're land rich and cash poor. And they're just holding out for the right developer. So I bet you in 10 years, when you come back, those couple of shanty towns that are still sitting there, those will be sold. New hotels will have gone up and those people will be living the high life. It's uh, not what you would expect, but it's pretty wild. Interesting. Yeah, I was because I was wondering about that and why they weren't being developed. And because it's like, you know, if if you're not familiar with the area, you're just like, oh shit, did I just walk? <laughs> did I just turn down the wrong street or something? Should I be walking around here, kind of thing? So I, I felt a little uncomfortable in certain areas, but I think the only time I actually almost got into a, a dangerous neighborhood, there were some bike cops that were like, let me walk you through this part of town because <laughs> I was trying to get to a bus station or something like that. But nice. so I guess since you're based there. Of all the places you've been to, is that um, the best scenario in the current um, current environment for for somebody like you? Well, listen, Panama is a good plan A. This is a, a real place that you can have a real life. There's fantastic people here. You can eat organic fruits and vegetables. The weather is amazing. It's tax-free. It's relatively a safe place. Um, I think it's a great plan A destination. Um, and the immigration is good here, the banking, everything like this. I have plan B's and plan C's and backups and things like that. So if things go bad here in Panama at any point, I have other places that I can go to. Now, I do have friends who are out there in the mountains and they're have their generators and they're, you know, waiting for things to get worse in the world. Um, you know, I'm building a business. I'm trying to help a lot of people. I need to be connected. Um, you know, we're out for dinner three, four times a week with clients and things like that. I need to be somewhere central. So it's this balance of, you know, what is the most safe and the best place to be in the world and what is the best place to build my business and to be connected with everybody. You know, I need to be pretty mobile. I'm in and out of the country every single month. I need to be close to an international airport and Panama has Tucumán Airport, which is a fantastic hub. It's 15, 16 minutes from my house. That's amazing. You know, I can get on that and fly to Europe direct or north anywhere in North America or anywhere in South America or the Caribbean. And it's just so close to everything. So for me, Panama is a very good option. I'm not saying that it is the perfect option for everybody, uh, but it definitely ticks the, a lot of the same or ticks a lot of the boxes for the right people, I would say. Yeah. And so let's talk about those boxes for a minute. Is, is there like a top five thing, like the top five things you should be considering in, in terms of uh, what you're looking for by re, uh, and when you're relocating? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, although I have traveled to well over 100 countries, I would not necessarily move people to all 100 some odd countries. You know, what I'm specifically looking for in a country, we would call an offshore jurisdiction. So what does offshore mean? Well, it has to be outside of your home country, of course. Uh, it has to have favorable tax laws or even better, zero tax. Um, it has to have strong asset protection laws and it has to be politically stable. And in that regard, Panama ticks all of the boxes. When we you know, go a little bit deeper and start adding on to that. I want to see good infrastructure. I want to see it as a safe country. I want to see fast internet. Um, I want to see good banking here, food independent, water independent, 
if possible, energy independent. Uh, Panama doesn't quite tick that box, but it's pretty close. It produces a lot of its own electricity, but we don't have oil and gas here. But in most regards, Panama is a great place to build a life. I mean, I help people move down to Costa Rica as well, which is a gorgeous spot, but they don't have a lot of the infrastructure and the laws are not quite as strong. And the immigration, you know, although they have immigration programs, is it going to take three months? Is it going to take six months? Is it going to take 18 months? Who knows? You know, we're not really sure. With Panama, I can have you your residency here in eight business days. I know exactly how it works. I know all the steps that need to be taken. It's very, very clear. It's completely tested out, and there's nothing up in the air about it. You know, so I look for these types of things when I'm trying to choose expat destinations for my clients. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Eight days to get your residency in Panama. Is it expensive? Do you have to pay a lot? So we used to have a program where it was a $5,000 bank deposit, but on August 6th of uh, not 2022, but the year previous, they they took that program away and they've now changed it to a $200,000 real estate investment. But the nice thing is that the real estate can be anywhere in the country. It doesn't have to be a government approved project and you can live in it or you can rent it out. So I have a lot of clients who will buy an apartment site on scene. We put it into a rental pool. They get four, five, 6% on their money. And then after two years, they can liquidate it and they can go on and they have their permanent residency and they can live here or not live here or do whatever they want. Um, you know, and even from the first day when they get their card, they can be in the country. So it's the legal right to live and work in the country. You can use it as a plan B destination. You can bring your family down. You can do whatever you want. It's a pretty attractive option, I think, for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And how does the the real estate purchases work there? Do you do you get like thirty year mortgages like you do in the U.S. or do you have to have all the cash up front? Most countries in the world do not have the same type of financing that we have in North America. So for any of these programs, or for the majority of them, uh, it's a cash buy. And for immigration, what they want to see is that you have solvency. You know, now sometimes we can get developer financing that is a possibility and then we'll just write a contract on the back end so you know you will have the property but you still owe on the back end for it Um, every country is very different as i was saying before there's you know i work in many different offshore jurisdictions probably about 40 42 different places Um, but the majority of them you're going to need cash for the purchase and talk to me about the tax situation How, how do the taxes you said there's no tax there so in Panama, and I mean, we can talk in, in general terms or I can talk specifically about Panama, but Panama... Let's do uh, Panama specific and then we'll broaden it out. Sure. I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to tie them in. So Panama follows what's called a territorial tax system. Now, there's many countries in Central America that also follow this tax system, like Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Belize, all these countries follow territorial. Now, what does this mean? It means that if the money is generated outside of the country, for example, you run a consulting business or Amazon FBA, or you work for a U.S. company or some type of online thing or something anywhere else in the world outside of Panama, it's deemed foreign sourced income. And therefore, there is no tax obligations in Panama for that money. 
Now, if you move to Panama and you open a store or you cut hair for a living or you work at the bar, well, then you will be paying tax on that because that's locally sourced income. But for the majority of my people, they have online investments or they're crypto traders or they have stock portfolios or they're entrepreneurs or factory owners or something like this, then the money is deemed outside. So from Panama side, there is no taxation on this. This is from the income tax side and also from the corporate side. Now, there is a 7% sales tax here. It's a VAT, but that's a voluntary tax. Now, I'm not a fan of tax in any form, but if I have to pay a tax, then I'm glad that it's only 7%, and I'm glad that it's a voluntary one. Um, now, if you're an American citizen, things get a little bit more complicated because U.S. people, U.S. taxpayers have to pay tax on their worldwide income no matter where you live. So it's one of only two countries in the world that bases not just on residency, but also on citizenship. The other country is Eritrea and Africa, which is known for blatant human rights violations. So I will let you come to your own conclusion about the tax system in the US and what we should think about that. Um, for Canadians like me, I'm, I'm not an American citizen, I'm a Canadian citizen. It's much simpler. We leave the country, we pay all applicable taxes, we file an exit, um, we, we file our final tax return and do what's called a deemed disposition. And, um, you know, we have a permanent residency somewhere else, and that's it. We're done. We never have to file again. We never have to pay taxes again, as long as we're not generating income in Canada. And it's like that for most countries in Europe or Australia or most of these countries follow a very similar pathway. It's only the U.S., so going back to the U.S., we can get rid of your tax obligations for the host country that you're going to move to, but we need to deal with the state and federal tax from the U.S. Well, the state tax is pretty easy. If you live in California or New York or something like that, we'll move you down to Florida for a year first. We'll change over your driver's license, uh, you register to vote, uh, your primary residence, things like this, move you to a zero state tax, then no more state tax. You're, you're done with that. Then we move you overseas. From the federal side, we often work in a program called the Foreign Earned Income Exclusion, FEIE. Uh, and I encourage you guys to go look it up on the IRS website. Uh, what it allows you to do is um, shield or, or exclude the first $112,000 of earned income. And if you're married and your spouse is also an American taxpayer, then there's a doubling effect. So now you're talking about uh, just under $225,000 worth. In 2023, we expect this to go up. I mean, it goes up every year with inflation. It'll probably be $120,000, so just under a quarter of a million dollars that you're not paying tax on. And when you have a quarter of a million dollars and you're living in Panama City uh, or Nicaragua or Belize or any of these places, you can have a pretty spectacular life. Like, I mean, you will want for nothing. Um, so those are kind of... Those are some of the tools in the toolbox and some of the ways that we will legally reduce the taxation through. Yeah, and I did know that about the U.S. and the one country in Africa whose name I could never remember. We're the only two countries in the world where no matter where you go, you have to pay uh, taxes on every dollar that you earn. Unless, of course, you renounce your citizenship like officially. Do you know what that costs to do in the U.S. now? Yeah, so we help... Yeah, so what happens is, um, I mean, we do help a lot of Americans with it. Probably out of 10 American clients who come to work with me, I'm probably having the conversation with nine of them. 
probably only one or two of them will actually go through it. Um, it's a very personal decision. It's a very emotional decision for a lot of people. There's a lot of identity tied to citizenship. Uh, personally, I'm not a I don't feel this for Canada. Like if someone said to me, okay, we're going to now tax you 50% of everything that you earn for the rest of your life, no matter where you live in the world, I would drop that citizenship in a heartbeat. Like, I mean, there's no question about that. But um, without getting into too much details with the, um, with the renunciation of the U.S. citizenship, you're either deemed um, a covered expatriate or a non-covered expatriate. And the the bright line test is usually um, a $2 million or more net worth or a certain amount of annual income. Now, even if you go over that amount, there are ways that we can legally reduce it and we can go through, which I won't really go get into today's interview. But um, even if you guys are worth more than that, then there are ways that we can, we can navigate these things. And what ends up happening is that there is an exit tax and you have to pay uh, taxation on your worldwide income, uh, even if you don't sell it. So it's basically like you imagine that you sold everything you own today at farm, fair market value, and then you would pay a certain amount of taxation on that. So your stock, so it's basically unrealized capital gains. Right. Oh man, that's insane. It's <laughs> insane. Yeah. But that is the only way to, that Americans can truly be done with the IRS and never have to file again and never have to pay taxes again. Now, we have to get you another citizenship. You can't be stateless. So we would buy you a passport in the Caribbean or in Europe or something like that in a country that has a favorable tax laws. And then we would relocate you to a place like Panama or the UAE or somewhere where it has no income tax. And for the right people, it can make a lot of sense. But once again, it's a personal decision. It's not one that I, I tell people to do. It's just another one of the tools in the toolbox. And we've got lots of tools. So. Yeah, it really just blows a hole in that whole uh, retort you hear from a lot of uh, like status people. Oh, if you don't like it, you can leave. It's like, can I though? <laughs> Is it really that well, easy? And it's also the excuse, you know, oh, it's the price that you pay to keep nice roads and to pay for the healthcare and pay for this and pay for that. It's like, well, I'm gone. Like, like, what kind of excuse is that now? Yeah, right. The roads in Chicago are unusable. The, you know, my parents actually, um, they ended up retiring in Milwaukee. I don't know if you're familiar with the area or not, but, you know, it's like a two-hour drive. I've been doing it for the last 10 years. It's been under, under construction every time I've done it. it. They're doing a horrible job of uh, maintaining their end of, of that bargain. Um, so what if you were happy with... Um, where you lived in the U.S., let's say, but you wanted to get temporary residency in Panama, like, could you just buy the 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 property in Panama and sort of funnel stuff through there, or do you actually have to physically live there for like at least half the year or something? So, to keep your residency active in Panama, all you need to do is visit the country one day every two years. As long as you do that, your visa is active and you can have it for the rest of your life. That's it. So it, in that regard, it's a fantastic plan B. There's a few countries like this where the minimum stay on the ground is very little. Now, you can contrast that with something like, I don't know, like Ecuador. In year one, I believe you need to spend every single day in the country, except you can leave for seven days. So basically, you're, you have to spend 348 days in uh, or 358 um, uh, days in the country. And that's it. I mean... You better really like that country. <laughs> Huge time commitment. Yeah. Where Panama's one day every two years. So 
is there so I, I know with the the all the COVID craziness and a lot more people working digitally, there's a lot more digital nomads out there. Is there what are like sort of the up and coming countries that people should be looking towards if that's the sort of lifestyle they're looking to do? Is there a place that hasn't been ruined by a bunch of tourists and everything like that? So it is getting very popular for not just digital nomadism, but the visas that go along with this. So traditionally, digital nomads would just be on tourist visas and they would hop from one country to another. Obviously, tracks like Southeast Asia, Malaysia, Thailand, Indonesia, these countries were super, super popular. Um, and then there's Eastern Europe, which is also very, very popular because the cost of living is very low. Um, now people can stay for a lot longer, you know, it can be six months, nine months, a year, and they're slowing down a lot, um, which is opening up a lot of other countries, uh, like countries in the Caribbean, which might not have been super hot on the digital nomad trail are coming up. Personally, I am a big fan of Latin America. I think that in today's day and age with everything that's happening, um, a lot of the freedom you'll find in Latin America, you're not going to find it in Europe. You're not going to find it in Asia. The lockdowns were super, super strict in a lot of those parts of the world. They were in certain parts in Latin America, but other parts were completely wide open. Um, cost of living is very affordable here. It's very easy to do business when you're going north-south, so you're on a similar time zone. Like for me, I lived in the Middle East for eight years. It was fine when I was a single guy and you know I started working with clients at 5 p.m. and I'd work till 2 a.m., but when my first child was born and she's up at 6, 7 a.m. and daddy needs to sleep till noon, like that's, that's not good for my family life. That's not, a, that's not a good way to go about things. So for me, being back on um, Eastern Standard Time or Central Time or something like this is much better. And I think that for a lot of digital nomads, uh, that also makes sense. Because, you know, digital nomads before were really entrepreneurs who were just doing you know, Amazon FBA or drop shipping or something like this. Now, a lot of the digital nomads will have normal corporate jobs, but they just work remote. So it can be a lot better to be on the north south type of access. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. What? Um, so how how do you keep track of all these countries and all the rules and everything? Do you have a, a like a massive team of people that help you do this? Or are you just doing this all on your own? No, I have uh, I have 17 people who work for me full time. So it's not just me. I have full time researchers who are constantly checking government websites, making calls to embassies. Um, you know, I run a database of like a private database of a lot of the information so that I can keep up to date with all of the different tax laws and immigration laws and all of these things. Um, you know, it's systems that I've had to figure out. I'm self-taught in all of this. I have read several thousand books about the subject matter. I have traveled and been boots on the ground and, and done the research in person. Um, and I work with a lot of the lawyers. I have full-time lawyers that work for me and I have lawyers that I've partnered with and I sit in on all the client calls and I'm constantly taking notes and updating my work. And, um, you know, it just grows organically through this. But yeah, it's a lot to keep track of. There's no question about it. Yeah, my head's already kind of just spinning thinking about it. And it's a really interesting situation you're in because on the one hand, you're sort of extricating yourself from this system and achieving like the ultimate freedom, but you still have to deal with like 150 government and bureaucracies across the globe at the same time. And 
I just I couldn't imagine dealing with that much bureaucracy just to provide freedom for other people. But God bless you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a funny thing is, you know, I'm an international tax expert. But I have not filed the tax return in like 20 years. Like I, I, I wouldn't have any freaking clue how to fill this thing. Like I would have to go to my CPA and sit down. Like I don't do a lot of the paperwork and things like that. I talk on the big, the big 40,000 foot view. I look at the laws. I look at the, the country itself. But I, I don't file U.S. taxes or, or fill out forms or anything like that. Like that sounds awful to me. I would never want to do that for a living. Right. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I wanted to ask you about is this new, in the U.S., they're doing this thing where they want to track every, you know, Venmo payment or PayPal payment that you're getting for like $600 or more. Has that, um, has that made it across your desk yet? Is that something you guys are preparing for? Yeah, we watch things like that. But once again, I'm trying to help people extricate themselves from these situations so we're trying to break a lot of ties and you know and i don't do the filing myself so i have a cpa that i work with an american cpa who does filing requirements so i don't do the 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 micro i do the macro pieces of it but yeah we're seeing more uh constraints and and a tightening on all fields like we're going to see capital controls coming to the u.s and canada i think in canada it's already there it's just shadow it's just like being shadow banned on social media people who are trying to remove their money now you know things that are supposed to take a day take a month or take multiple months they keep flagging things as fraud and then you have to go into the bank and then they don't believe the paperwork and then things get lost i've seen it over and over and over again so i don't believe it's by mistake at all i think that they're super worried about capital flight out of these countries and you know i'm helping to perpetuate this i'm helping people to get their money out i mean we're doing it in a legal way at least for now it's legal once the laws change i will have to change our ways but it's um you know billions upon billions upon billions of dollars that we're removing from these countries and setting it up in new new places so yeah well uh, yes me they get what they deserve <laughs> no doubt. um what's uh so how do you advise people to to take payments then to sort of get away from these uh constrictive systems is are you a big crypto guy or i'm absolutely a big crypto guy i'm a big crypto guy without having to use on ramps and off ramps i don't like exchanges whatsoever i'm very much a please pay me in bitcoin pay me in ethereum type of guy and i'll use it in my own life or i'll invest it or you know run my own defi nodes and things like this but i mean i don't like this ftx debacle i had nothing to do with any of this i just sat back and laughed the whole thing you know like i just i think it's just so silly to be keep using these exchanges after we've seen it happen over and over and over and over again but yeah if you can use crypto in commerce i am fully in support of that absolutely is there uh, like a big crypto community in panama is it easy to do yeah, business? Yeah, pretty big, definitely. Yeah. And I've helped over 150 families relocate here to Panama. So most of my people are very um, interested in crypto as well. So when we go for dinners and we have meetups and we have parties and things like that, it's definitely a topic that gets discussed a lot. And some of the guys that I know are, are quite big whales and have been in Bitcoin since it was you know $3 a coin or something like that. So. 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It must be nice. (laughs) The the exchanges are, you know, it's funny because that that's how they suck everybody in. They make it a lot easier for people who aren't tech savvy, who don't really understand how these things work. It's like, Oh, you just sign up for this exchange and then you can start trading cryptocurrency. And then, yeah, you end up uh, getting your account drained by some scam artist. And then that opens the door for the government to say, Oh, we got to regulate these cryptos more. I think it's a massive false flag what's happened with FTX. I mean, I think that he was just a Trojan horse for this. And I don't know, call me a conspiracy theorist, but I mean, it's it's pretty disgusting what happened. There, there's a lot of uh, government fingerprints all over that one. It, it did really stink to, to high heaven. It was, it was pretty incredible to watch that whole thing unfold and then watch the media just write these puff pieces, even after this guy's clearly running a, a Ponzi scheme and he stole like, billions of dollars yeah. from people. He's going to talk. Did he talk at that New York Times thing? Did that happen? I'm not sure. I, I just I know he was going to be invited to be a guest speaker yeah. at, at some conference with yeah. uh, Janet Yellen and <laughs> a bunch of other crooks. <laughs> so um, it, it really is unbelievable. But let's... um So... Were you running, you, you were having like a, an expat money show. Did that happen already this year? So uh, I host a podcast, which is called The Expat Money Show. I hosted a summit, which was called, well, not very creative, but Expat Money Summit. Um, that was a couple of weeks ago, and it was great. We had over 7,000 attendees. Um, Dr. Ron Paul was a speaker at the event. Um, Jim Rogers, uh, my friend Doug Casey. And a whole ton of the the lawyers and accountants and service providers and developers and things, uh, real estate developers that I work with. So it was five days, basically seven, eight hours a day, uh, completely online. And it was a ton of fun. It was a huge success. Uh, Very tiring. I am still quite drained from from the experience. It was six months worth of work to put together. But more or less, it it went off without a hitch and the response was fantastic. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. And uh, actually, if you guys go to expatmoneysummit.com, you can see a full list of the speakers and you can join the waiting list for next year's event. Uh, we put it on this year completely for free. We gave away all the tickets for free. Um, there was a, a paid upgrade ticket, but um, the majority of the people just went for the free. I just want to get this information out there. Like, I just think that, you know, after 23 years of doing this and, and seeing the world, Um, the best vehicle to freedom that I have ever found is the offshore markets and being an expat, hands down, without a question. And I'm just trying to get this information in people's hands. And this is my very small way of fighting back about what's happening in the world. Yeah, you have a a wealth of knowledge. I could could pick your brain forever. (laughs) Was this the, the first year you put the summit on? So I have done online summits before, but this was the first time that I've completely done it under my own brand. I used to work with one of the largest offshore companies in the world. I I ran theirs for a few years. Um, So I did my business expat money for several years. Then I partnered with a group of guys. I ran their company for a couple of years, and then I went back out on my own. Um, And I did the conference, you know, I not just by myself. Like I said, I have a team of people who help me and they're incredible. I wouldn't be able to do it without them. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was my event, my, my brainchild for sure. And, and so you're, you're going to do another one next year. What's, um, are, are you going to cover a lot of the same stuff and can people, can you actually buy these recordings from this previous summit that you just did? 
Now, the, we made the recordings available for a few days after the summit and, and leading up to the summit, but then I took them all offline. So, yes, we will still do similar ideas next year, like, you know, the best passports, best residencies, precious metals, crypto, um, structuring, trusts, foundation, tax issues, all of these types of things in the offshore and expat space. Now, obviously, the laws are going to change considerably over the next well, 11, 12 months, um, and new places will come up and other places will go away and programs will disappear and, and new ones will, will become available. So it's really the cutting edge of what's happening. Like everything is really dialed into that moment. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to doing another one. I still need to sleep for a couple of months before I put too much thought into it. But uh, And it'll be hard to beat our headliners. I mean, Dr. Ron Paul, Jim Rogers, and Doug Casey's pretty strong uh, keynote speakers, so I don't know what I'm going to do next year, but but uh, I'll figure out something. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I, I can only imagine putting on an event like that. I I did one here in uh, Sayulita, Mexico, last year, and it was a it was a small event. It was in person, but man, it is it is. Was stressful. Mark Claire a speaker at that? He was. Yeah, I heard that he went to that. He's a very good friend of mine, amazing guy. Uh, I've been on his program. Well. He doesn't work with Lions of Liberty anymore, but I've been on his show, I think, five times. And he said he went to do um, stand-up comedy at your event. He did. He? Yeah, he said he would do two minutes. <laughs> he ended up doing like five or six, and it, you know, it was pretty good. It, he, did a, he did a great job. I, I love Mark. Yeah, he's a, he's a good friend of mine, too, now that I, I just got to know recently, maybe in the last uh, two years or so. Ah, he's one of my best friends. I talked to him almost every single day back and forth and i've known him for probably four or five years now for probably four years now great great guy big shout out to you mark if you guys don't know mark's work go check out he has a brand new show the mark claire show um i'm a huge fan of his work really smart guy yeah absolutely and i think you know i was talking with him the other day we're gonna start doing some some advertising for him uh, on the podcast cool. here because yeah he's, he's he's branching off on his own now he's had a rough a couple of years because of the the covid craziness you know and refusing to get vaccinated and everything like that and really living his principles has uh has brought him mm -hmm. probably to some better places now but it was you know he's had a like a lot of people a really tough go of it because of these um government restrictions and that's why you know you said you got to give yourself options you have to be flexible you have to be ready to get out of these places when things get really bad and that's like the, you know, those are like the three things that that life formula I was talking about don't allow for, it, you know, it ties you down to like a certain job and a geographical location. And you set these roots that are really hard to, um, you know, uproot and without your help, which <laughs> brings me to sort of my more selfish questions, because I am living six months at a time here in Mexico and I need to get organized. <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> All right. Let's see what we can do. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> what is my, what, yeah, what the hell do I do now? Because I, I still have a, a condo in Chicago that is on the market, but I, I'm, I, I don't think it's going to sell in this environment just because of where interest rates are. But I'm renting it out to a, a family. You know, my cousin is going to start paying me rent on it. So I'm fine with just getting rental income from that. But how, you know, how do I go about getting settled someplace else? Like what, what are the first, like the top three things I need to start working on? 
Okay, well, first of all, understand that Mexico is not a tax haven by any stretch of the imagination. They have a marginal tax rate of 35%. So you're kind of going out of the fire, uh, out of the pan into the fire, leaving the States and going to Mexico. I would much rather see you come down to a place like Panama or Belize or Nicaragua. Cost of living can still be very, very low, less than the US, that's for sure, but we can get rid of the taxation. Then you're going to want to make sure that you're filing the foreign earned income exclusion. And what we would do is do what's called the uh, physical presence test for year one. And then we would go into the bona fide residency test. So the physical presence test is 330 days in a foreign country. This does not mean uh, in international waters. This doesn't mean in an airplane flying over to Portugal. It doesn't mean being on a cruise. It means your feet have to physically be on the ground in a foreign country. That would be... Definitely number two, if you can not spend six months back in the States and you can only spend one month back in the States, then, you know, then we can apply for the, the, um, the foreign earned income exclusion. Now on year two, we can do the bona fide residency test, which is a lot more subjective. So the, the physical presence test is very objective. It's mathematics. It's, it is what it is and that's it. The, uh, the bona fide residency test, we get you a physical residence somewhere else. We get you a driver's license, a library card. You know, uh, we rent you an apartment. We buy you a place or something like that. And now you can start to spend a little bit more time back in the U.S. You know, what that number is, I can't say. It's going to be dependent on your individual situation. But what I have seen is some people are spending, you know, 90 days, 100 days, something like that back in the country. Now, if you're working while you're back in the States, then you would just minus how many work days you have and you would figure out how much um, you are excluding per day and you would take that off the 365. It's a little bit complicated, but basically the mathematics work that, okay, if you are excluding $112,000 and you divide that by how many working days there are in the year, then you would multiply that number by how many days that you're outside of the country. So instead of getting the 112, maybe you'll get 96,534 days, uh, dollars, excuse me. Um, but this gives you a lot more freedom on these types of things. So those were, those would be the two first things. I would pick you a different destination. Mexico's a great place, but I wouldn't become a tax resident there. So I wouldn't spend more than 183 days. I would make your tax home a country that has a territorial tax system. And then I'd be filing you the foreign earned income exclusion. And I think that between those couple of things, that would probably move the ball downfield considerably uh, for freedom. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you, you mentioned at the summit that you talked about the, the best passport to have. What, what do you, in your opinion, who has the best passport, who has the worst passport? <laughs> it's a difficult question because when we're looking at passports and we're looking at best and worst, what we're really looking at is access to countries for visa-free travel. So this means that you can go to a country and you don't need to apply for a separate visa to go there. Now, if you're already holding a U.S. passport, you have visa-free travel to many countries in the world. It's certainly not the best passport, but it's not the worst passport either. It's a tier A passport. It's, it's the upper echelons, but it's not the best. What I would rather see instead of trying to get you like a country that has even more, I would rather try to see you get one which overlaps. So for example, um, let's say you, as, a, as an American, you can't go to Russia and you can't go to China. 
But if we got you a country that can go to those countries without visa, without having to have a visa, then that's going to be a plus. Now, the country itself, its passport might be a really crummy passport. It might only get you into 60 countries or 80 countries or something like that. But it fills a gap in what you need. So that's how I would try to look at it. I would also be looking at it on how we're going to get that passport because there's many different ways. You can go through naturalization, which is living in a country for a certain amount of time. We can go through ancestry. So if your family is from Poland or Ireland or Italy or, or lots of the countries in Eastern Europe, then maybe you can apply for one of those. If you marry someone, if you have a spouse who's Mexican, then you can get a fast track to a Mexican citizenship. If you do birth tourism, like for example, my wife and I flew down to Brazil when my wife was – uh, five months, six months pregnant, we gave birth in Brazil, and I have a little Brazilian baby boy. Because I'm the legal guardian of a Brazilian citizen, I can apply for what's called the family reunification visa, and I can apply for my permanent residency and get my Brazilian passport in two years. So there's many different ways to skin the cat on this. There's not just one way or one best. It's always going to be dependent on you and your situation. So it's a uh, it's a tailor-made suit opposed to going to Walmart and just picking something off the rack. You know, like the stuff that I do is really, really specific on individuals' situations. Does that make sense? That Yeah, that's a great analogy, by the way. You get in a custom tailor-made suit, you are going to look a lot better than uh, something that, that you just pull off the rack that doesn't quite fit right. Um, exactly. That is... Yeah, you've given me a lot to think about here. <laughs> I have I have heard good things about. I know Nicaragua is sort of up and coming. I've been trying to. I've been meaning to go to Belize for a while, and just the flights from Mexico to Belize are insanely expensive. They went wow. it over like a thousand dollars the last time I checked. And I'm yeah, just like, I, I could just take a bus there or something. <laughs> I don't know if I'd survive that, but okay, so. I don't know how much time you got. I, I usually go for, you know, 45 minutes or an hour or so. I can probably do five more minutes and then I've got client calls starting. So, All right. So what, let's say I wanted to hire you for your services. How do I, what do I do? How do I go about that? Sure. So the people that I work with, I usually work with high net worth individuals. So the majority of my clients kind of fall between the two and $10 million net worth range. Um, what would happen is uh, they would go to my website, expatmoney.com. Up in the top right-hand corner, there's a big orange button that says work with us. Uh, there is a letter there, an important letter that you need to read. Do not read it on your phone. It's really long. It will take you a while. Pour yourself a cup of coffee, sit down at your laptop or your desktop, and really go through this. This is important stuff. I explain how I work, what's included, the things that I do, what I don't do, who I am, and you know my mentality. It's important that people get a feel for me and who I am. I have a particular style. I am very outspoken as a libertarian, very against public education and what's happening in the world. If you guys come from the left or you're woke at all, like please just save me. The time, like, I just want nothing to do with you at all. I'm very vocal about these types of things. And I would rather turn away business that just, yeah. So go through the letter. At the bottom of it, you will find an application form. It's probably about 20, 30, 40 questions on there. Fill that out. From there, we will schedule a phone call. We will discuss things. Uh, my fees are not cheap by any stretch of the imagination, but when you're working with a professional and working with someone who really knows and understands these things and have been through it, like I don't do these things armchair. I am really out there in the wide world um, 
doing this and researching it. I did not go to university for this. As I said at the beginning, I dropped out of school. You know, I'm completely self-taught. There are very few human beings who know and understand these things, and especially at this level. So um, working with someone who really gets it and is very trustworthy and is morally and ethically on the same wavelength as you are, I think is invaluable. Uh, I do consulting and I do the mass packages. So I usually consult with a, with a family or with an individual for 12 months. Um, and we work through everything. So we would go through the tax issues, the immigration issues, residencies and citizenships, uh, purchasing you another home. So the real estate, I'm very big into precious metals. So how is it stored? Uh, the vaulting, what do you buy? Everything like that. Same with the crypto, the custody of the crypto. Um, you know, is it held in your own name? Are your assets held through a corporation, an LLC, an IBC, a trust, a foundation? Uh, what does that look like? You know, um, can we do it anonymously, anonymously? What are the filing requirements? Like there's just so many things that we need to work through together. So it does take us, you know, close to a year to go through everything, but the transformation, John, on the other end is amazing. Like my clients, I can just see their shoulders just start to, you know, relax and they just become a lot more confident and, you know, they can sleep well at night again and they're not so worried about what's happening because we have them in a really strong position. So it, it's good. I'm, I'm, I love the work that I do and I'm really glad to, to be able to help people. I think it's it's amazing what you're doing. I mean, so many libertarians, uh, myself included, we kind of just complain into microphones all day about all the problems, and we understand the problems, but we don't do a great job with solutions. And you really are helping people actually um, get things done and, and get out of these situations. One last question I would just kind of dawned on me. Do you do a lot with like much older people who are trying to like estate plan? Um, and maybe like leave stuff to their, their kids or something like that? Yeah, definitely. I would say the majority of my clients are kind of that, you know, 45, 50 and up. I do have a couple of clients, you know, young entrepreneurs, young, like early 30s, late 20s, who are building businesses and want to structure things so that they're in a favorable tax position as they scale their business. It's much easier to do when we have the things in place first. It's more difficult when we have to go backwards. But yeah, I would say that you know, 75, 80% of my private clients are probably 50 plus. Um, now, I just also want to mention one other thing because I don't want people to get confused. Um, what I described to you of my work as a consultant working one-on-one, -on -one, that is for high net worth individuals. That doesn't mean that I don't put out a ton of valuable resources for everybody, for no matter what income bracket you're at or what stage at life or you know if you're a teenager and you're listening to this there's tons of free resources out there we've hosted our podcast the expat money show for over six years there's like 220 episodes of that they're like little master classes on you know, breaking down the things that we've just barely scratched the surface on today. Uh, we put on the summit, like I was mentioning before, that was all free to attend. We do monthly webinars at expatmoney.com that are f completely free. I have a daily email newsletter where I'm 
updating people about new immigration, talking about the businesses I'm building it, and all of these other things. There's no cost for any of that. Um, there's a blog. We put out new articles almost every day on different countries and retirement and digital nomadism and all of the different passports and citizenships and everything like that on expatmoney.com. So those resources are for everyone in the world. I want to get the word out there for my one-on-one -on -one consulting. Those are kind of, that's the, that's the paywall, if you will. Yeah. And that makes sense to, to get access to your uh, wealth of knowledge. You, you gotta, you gotta pay the price, but yeah, that you, that is a ton of other stuff that you're putting out there for free, which is fantastic. I will make sure that we link to all of that stuff in the description for this episode. Uh, thank you so much, man, for taking the time. This was, like I said, uh, I think it might've been off, uh, camera or whatever this is the most selfish interview i've ever done a lot of times i'm worried <laughs> if my listeners uh would would like this sort of thing i'm sure they will but i didn't really care i just wanted to talk to you personally so this is 100 percent very selfish and i really appreciate your time no that's amazing thanks so much for having me john it was a lot of fun hey anytime you want to come on man i'll have uh a million more questions for you, but I'll, I'll get started on those. The first uh, couple of things I got to do to get my life more organized here. And hopefully I'll be in a much better position next time we talk. Amazing. That's fantastic. That's so funny that, you know, Mark as well, when you said the, when you said that you hosted the conference, I knew instantly uh, which one it was because I remember him going down there for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was really glad that he could make it. I, I think he was in Mexico city at the time with his wife. Oh, I've lost your, Oh, there. Yeah, I think we're. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't and know, then my didn't internet. James Guzman come down as well? Yeah. Oh, you know James too. Yep. I've done lots of interviews back and forth. He was speaking at my conference, and yeah, yeah, he came down from uh, where is he in like? Yeah, San Miguel de Allende. That's right. Yeah, San Miguel. Yeah, he actually introduced me to like the best pizza place in PV because I was complaining about pizza in Mexico. <laughs> Another reason why you might not want to, uh, you know, retire here or something. It's oh like, God. it's almost as if they just read about pizza in a book and then just made it without <laughs> ever having tasted it at most of these places. But he introduced me to a legitimate uh, place run by an Italian guy. So it's been, yeah, he, he's a great guy too. That's awesome. He's a great guy. Very, very like-minded for sure. Hey, John, I got to run. I got my client call in about 60 seconds. So I'm going to jump off. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Take care. Thanks for thanks again. You let me know when the episode goes live, and we'll uh, we'll do our part to share it around. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks. Okay. Have a great day. Bye. You too. Bye. Well, once again, Riverside Audio really uh, screwed me. Like a minute into this thing, I get this. Yeah, your device is struggling to record. You cut off the audio. That's what happened the last time I did an interview on this. And I, I mean, my internet here is not that bad. I should be ripping at like. I don't know, almost, a you know, like a hundred, uh, megabits or whatever. So I don't know what it is and I have everything else shut off. Um, but luckily I, I don't think I missed too much of it cause I pulled up my, um, my Hindenburg, which is where I record. So all of my audio should be in here and hopefully I won't have to go through and redub all this. Uh, what a fucking great guy Mikkel Thorpe is. I really love talking to him. He has an unbelievable amount of knowledge. I mean, when he was just sort of rattling off all of these things to think about, and I know that he's barely scratching the surface. There's there's so much to consider when it comes to relocating yourself, and it's it's all because of the goddamn government making things so difficult across the globe. 
I couldn't imagine trying to keep all of that stuff in my head. Like, I think he is just an unbelievable uh, resource. And just what he's doing, like I told him, is just fantastic. It's so necessary. I, I have no idea, like, what to do, and which is why I sort of selfishly asked him. I was like, what the hell should I be doing right now? And, yeah, like he said, Mexico, probably not the best place to uh, get your uh, permanent residency or something like that. And which is why I really haven't made much of an effort to do that. But, you know, it's it's almost like I know exactly where I don't want to be. I don't know exactly the, the best place to go. And once you find that place, though, I think, like you said, and you get situated, it is just a weight off your shoulders. That albatross of the particularly the U.S. federal government is off of your fucking neck. But, you know, regardless of where you are he can put you in a much better situation. So really glad we were able to get him on. I hope I can get him on again in the future. And uh, that's, I think, the, yeah, we're, let's wrap on that. Thank you all so very much for listening. Go check out his stuff. I'll, I'm going to link to all of that in the description. So if you're thinking about becoming an expat, I, I can't think of a better way of going about it than at least reading his free resources, checking out his podcast and everything like that. I know I will be doing that. That's going to be my, uh, my project going into next year. So um, thank you all so very much for listening. Hopefully you got as much out of that as I did. Don't forget to follow us on, let's see, on Twitter at pedal fiction. You can become a supporting listener of this show by going to pedalingfictionpodcast.com and click on the support the show tab. I'll link to that in the description. You can set up any, um, you can do a one-time donation if you want. If you set up a recurring donation for any denomination you want, as little as a dollar a month, that will put you into the peddling fiction inner circle sort of thing. And we do a happy hour every other Friday where we get together and you don't have to drink. I usually do. Some other people do, but it's, it's more just sort of to connect with, with people and, and talk and, you know, get a little uh, face to face time in this digital world that we are living in. So do all that for me and I will be back with a brand new episode sometime after this. I'm not exactly sure when we're going to air this one for you guys. And until then, you know the drill. Just keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.